This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Jouar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar, and today is Tuesday, June 19th, 2018. My guest is Adam Dowd of Android Authority. Hi, Adam. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. We've been talking about it for a while, so I'm glad we were able to make it work. Um, I want to talk about phones on this show because the last two shows, we really haven't had a chance to dig deep. Sure. I was at Computex two weeks ago in Taiwan, in Taipei, and uh, although I wasn't at Apple's event since I was in, in Taiwan, in Taipei, um, wonderful Rene Ritchie of iMore was on my show last week and we talked about the Mac, the future of the Mac okay. and, and WWDC and a bunch of stuff. So there's a bunch of phones that have fallen through the cracks and landed on my desk that I want to talk about and a bunch of news. And um, so, yeah, I, I kind of want you to take on it as a phone person. Yeah, definitely uh, talking know. to the right guy. <laughs> All right, I know. Okay, so let's get started with that. Um, the, first, the first thing I want to kind of touch on is... Because it's fresh, let's talk about the Oppo Find X. Because it just kind of came out last night. The um, I think were the first stories. Late at night, it was like about two a.m. when I saw the Verge's article, mm-hmm. and I quickly emailed you about it. Yeah. Uh, because until then, it was just you know this phone's coming out. We we don't know too much about it. Now we kind of know everything about it. And wow, right? I mean, it's it's really interesting to me that both Vivo with the next what a week and a half ago, mm-hmm. and now Oppo with the Find X have come out with two basically almost bezel-less phones, right? Almost. There's a tiny chin on both of them. Right. But we're talking 91%, 93% screen ratios, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's funny because they're both they're both kind of solving the problem in similar ways, but you know, the uh, the Oppo uh, solution is a lot more high tech, which is uh, you know, I mean which has the cool factor. You know, the 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 uh, the Vivo phone, you know, has that little pop up uh, camera that, you know, you have to, you know, push a button kind of like a like a note stylus. Yeah, but basically. honestly, I think the Vivo phone's the better approach. It probably it possibly is. And we can definitely dive into that. Um, and I'll tell you why I think that is, because um, first of all, the I don't think aesthetically and cosmetically the way uh, Oppo is doing it, the Oppo being the one they announced last night, um, where the entire top of the phone kind of slides out with the front-facing camera earpiece on the front and the two rear cameras and flash on the back, just mm-hmm. to be clear. Right. So when the phone is, when you're holding the phone and the cameras are not, uh, are not visible, they there's no cameras that you can see on the phone. Like it's just a slab of glass in the back, slab of glass in the front. And I kind of get what they were going for, but frankly, I think that there's going to be too many compromises in the camera to make it to fit to make it fit in such a thin slab. Other little part that pulls out, mm-hmm. uh, and um, why would you? Why do? Why would you want that? The only really thing you need to have come out is the front camera, which is what Vivo is doing, and and you know with 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 Oppo's design, you can't put a case on the phone. Mechanically, it's going to be heavier and probably more likely to break. Mm-hmm. You know, think about this: if this mechanism breaks on the Oppo, you lose all ability to take pictures. The mechanism breaks on the Vivo, you only lose the ability to take selfies, right? Which for some people is life and death, I know. But I don't think, I just think that they did it 
to kind of, sh you know, I, I don't, I'm not saying it's bad idea. It's nice to have, you know, some new innovation in phones. Like I think form factors need variety. And this is exciting to me because we're now getting more form factor variety because of people trying to avoid the notch and do full screen phones. Right. And you know, it's only a stepping stone. Like the notch, it's only a stepping stone because eventually they'll be able to put the camera right underneath the display. Yeah. The, um, the last two years have kind of been, you know, how do we work around this bezel-less thing? Um, you know, the notch is a workaround. These movable cameras are workarounds. The, none of them are real solutions, which is the part that just kind of irks me um, is like none of these are very well executed they're just they're obvious workarounds i mean it's not even like they're good workarounds they're obvious workarounds like we we just this is just you know this is just to get something out the door so we can move on to the next thing now the one thing that i like about the oppo is um you know the fact that it is a mechanical uh the mechanical slider an automatic slider it does have that that cool factor that i think a lot of phone manufacturers need to have in order to raise eyebrows you know what i mean i mean with the with the vivo you know it just it it's you know a little bit more of a simplistic mechanism but with the with the oppo it's like hey i need to unlock my phone watch this you know it's it's really it has that that wow factor that i think um i think a lot of phone companies think they need maybe they don't um but i think a lot of a lot of phone companies think they need something that people can brag about at parties Oh, it's definitely bragging rights. I, and that's my problem with it, I think, is that it's too complex. That's very Like, possible. I'm an engineer. You know this, right? So, uh, to me, I'm like, immediately, I'm like, okay. You're not going to say, well, both cases, there's a piece that's mechanically retracting with a motor. I don't see how making the piece bigger is going to make it more complex, Miriam. Well, it's more complex because the rear cameras are included and because I think it's aesthetically ugly once it's open, this thing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this weird little... It's like semi semi-circular cutout in the back is uh, is I think it's it's not a very elegant design considering what the phone looks like when it's closed, and I and that's in that way I think Vivo did a better job because it's much more discreet. It's like a little periscope that sticks out, right? You're right. Um, and either way, honestly, I'll tell you frankly, I think that mechanically, I think they both are overkill. Um, the Vivo thing could be a spring-loaded. Uh, like the Vivo being the one that only has a front camera that pops out, that could be literally popping out like like camera flashes, you know, on uh, on point and shoots, right? Right. Where where you turn when the when it needs the the flash, it pops up this single thing and it releases with spring loaded with a solenoid and you retract it by hand, right? Sure. That to me, they could have totally done that all day long and it would have simplified the design, reduced the cost significantly. Uh, not as cool, I admit. But the one with the Oppo, the one they launched last night, I think it's such overkill. And yes, you're right, you get bragging rights, but I am not convinced it's a very, it's, I don't think it's a good design. Well, I don't think it's an attractive design. And I think that it's just, it's total overkill. It's total like, you know, it's pretty much what I expect from Oppo, to be honest. You know, with remember the rotating front camera that they had or yeah, front the, and rear yeah, camera? The, the, the selfie that spun around. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I'll throw another log onto that fire. They also used that front camera to do the 3D face unlock, similar to the right. iPhone 10. So and supposedly they have some sort of something equivalent to Face ID. I want to know if that can be used for, and like we don't know, right? Because this phone... It might become available in the U.S. That's the rumor. Mm -hmm. uh, Oppo's not confirming or denying that at this point. Whether we're pretty sure the Vivo won't be, but but the if the Oppo is, it will need to support you know Google Play services at that point, and then it will need to support Google Play. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Google Pay 
uh, payment. Uh, and here, my big question is this: This is all great to have a you know face unlock is nice, especially if it's done with three D volumetric like Face ID. I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. The big question here is until an Android phone comes up with a way to authenticate for payment with face identification, to me, that's not the real thing. You know what I'm saying? I hadn't even considered that. My point was, you know, how often do we unlock our phones every day? I mean, it's for me, it's dozens of times, if not more. And it's probably, you know, you're probably in the same boat, aren't you? Well, yeah, and that, I think that's a really valid concern, the reliability of this thing. I mean, obviously, I'm sure they've tested and their approach is probably, you know, you're going to keep this phone for two years, probably no more than that. So they're not probably hugely concerned with long term reliability, like a car would be, for example, I think, you know. But yeah, well, you're adding a lot of moving parts. What if you drop the phone? I mean, there's so many questions here. And that's why, honestly, I feel that the Vivo design is better because it's less it's less critical moving parts, right? I mean, the front-facing right. camera, you lose it, it's bad, but it's not the end of the world. Um, and so, you know, you, you I think you nailed it. It's it's just, you know, Oppo now has bragging rights, right? Because they yeah. made the, the cooler version of it. But I don't think th- also think that design-wise, they didn't really push it too hard. I don't think it's that pretty of a phone. Right, and it's not that cool. It's not that cool a car if the doors fall off. Right, exactly. <laughs> So, you know, that's kind of my take on this. I think that overall, I'm, you know, I'm excited about this trend. I think it's very much an interim trend. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm looking forward to getting these devices. I've, I've requested a Vivo Next. I've requested an Oppo uh, uh, Find X. And I'm hoping that uh, I get to try them out and let everybody know here on the show uh, what I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, overall I think I think that's that's the story. I I want to kind of shift gears and talk about some of the other phones that um I There had, have been so many. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've had a bunch on my on my desk as it were on my in my hands. Um let's um let's talk about uh the the BlackBerry Key 2. The sexy uh, that one. was announced right. about 10 days ago. What's that? I said the sexy one, the the sexy phone that came. Man, out that thing is sexy. So you know, I I uh, I recently reviewed uh, received a device to to test, and I can't talk too much. There's some embargoes right now, but what I can tell you this is, uh, you you know, by the time this podcast is published, you'll see my unboxing video. The thing is the sexy. It's hot as hell, and and I mean that in the you know the BlackBerry Q1. I think was. A decent design and definitely probably the best uh, of the Android-based uh, BlackBerry with a hardware keyboard so far, in my opinion. One hundred percent, yes. But 100% the Key Two, wow, the Key Two really cranks things up a notch. Um, they took this design and refined it. Um, it's thinner. It's uh, it's got less plastic on it. The keyboard is matte. There's a whole bunch of little things that. Uh, contribute to, in my opinion, to make this phone much more attractive. Um, and it, it feels fantastic in hand. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that I think uh, make this phone at first, you know, at first impression really, uh, really stand out. Um, it's also unique looking. I mean, yeah. not just because of the keyboard, but the industrial design, like the rounded corners on the bottom and the kind of squared up corners on top. I, I'm really digging it, and I'm looking forward to putting that phone through its paces and letting you guys know in a week or two uh, what my thoughts are. Yeah. Um, you, you I'm, I'm interested in that, so too. Yeah, I love the Q1. What are your thoughts Q1. on what um, you've seen, photos and whatever, videos of the Key 2? 
I mean, my, uh, t- I mean, my, my thoughts on the, on the, on the design of the phone are, you know, the, it looks great. Just like the, just like the Q1 did. I had the black edition of the Q1. Oh, that's um, a hot one. It is. It, that was the hot one. Um, my concern with the key, the Q1, there's two reasons I don't use the Q1 today as a daily driver. One, my version is locked to AT&T and I switch to T-Mobile. Uh, so that's, Oops. that's kind of a big one. Um, but the second one was just the performance on the, uh, on the Q1. And I was told by a couple of different reviewers, um, they said, I said, yeah, I started using the Q1. They're like, yeah, give it a couple of weeks. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and sure enough. I mean, it was just like, it, the thing just started to get dog slow and it was largely because of the software. And I hope that BlackBerry has addressed that because if there was a universal pan on the key one, it was the software and the, uh, the lag with that was on it, but everything else about the phone was wonderful. You know, the, the, the fingerprint, uh, uh, sensor placement on the space bar was brilliant. The keyboard is awesome. I love the fact that they added that the uh, what do they call it? Uh, the second the the key that you can press in order to do the keyboard shortcut when you're yeah. not on the home screen. Yeah, I forget yeah, yeah. the name of that. I don't um, know either. And if I remember correctly, they also added multiple uh, different apps that you can launch with the convenience key. Is that right? Um, yeah. So yeah, like the absolutely. convenience key on the key one, it was one app that you could launch, but now it, was, it looked like they gave you like a little side menu, which is awesome. Um, so yeah, I, I've, I'm excited to get my hands on it. Um, I don't know when that's going to be, but um, I would definitely love to uh, love to put that thing through its paces myself. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that uh, it, it, you know, it really looks hot, uh, at least so far for me, uh, my brief time with it. Um, I'm impressed with the design and spec wise, you know, it's just a, a pretty much an update. There is a bunch of small things like you're talking about the hardware uh, that that's slick, slicker in terms of the keyboard and shortcuts and stuff. Another nice thing is they put the power lock key on the right side now, along with the convenience key and the volume rocker, which I always felt the power key on the left was a bit weird. So, it was. Um, I remember. I remember t- uh, tweeting once and saying that if you're if you're going uh, pro tip for using the BlackBerry Key One, make sure you assign the convenience key to an app that you don't mind launching every time you try to turn off the phone. Exactly, <laughs> and that's no longer as much of an issue because it's the uh, power lock key is in the middle between the volume rocker and the convenience key now, and it's ridged. Like you can feel it. You know it's the power lock key. That's awesome. Touch. So, yeah. So that's that's pretty big news. Um, spec wise, this is now upgraded from uh, Snapdragon six twenty five to a six sixty, and from four gigs of RAM to six gigs of RAM. And, uh, you know, still has micro SD, and I think my review has 64 gigs of storage. Uh, it does have a dual camera in the back now, uh, instead of a, a 12 megapixel f over 1.0 f over, f over on the old one. It's a f over 1.8 now, the main camera. And the, it has a tele lens, a f over 2.6, uh, two times zoom, uh, as a secondary camera in the back. So nice. dual camera on the back. And then the front camera appears to be the same. The display appears to be the same. 4.5 inch 1080p. Um, uh, 3 to 4 aspect ratio, I believe. Uh, and Or oh, it's 3 to 2. Can't remember. Huh. Uh, same display. Same exact display. And then right. uh, battery is 3,500 milliamp hours. Hasn't changed. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, a modernized... And it still has headphone jack. Woohoo, right? So it's a modernized version of the key one from last year. And hopefully, as you said, the biggest issue was performance uh, over time. And I hope that that's been addressed. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting because I'm, I, I, you know, obviously this is something you you need to test over some time, right? You can't just, 
So I'm hoping that uh, it's uh, basically becomes obvious quickly if it happens. Not not something I discovered, you know, after telling you how much I love it on the podcast in two weeks or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then a month later, go wah, wah, wah. Mia culpa, yeah. And actually, uh, speaking of uh, speaking of battery performance, uh, the battery life, if it's if it's even like 75% of what the key one was, it's still awesome and still going to kill everybody else out there. So. Yeah, I mean, it should be if... If they're not the same, I think slightly better because I think the 660 is a newer chip. It's more power efficient, and this is exactly the same size battery. So yeah, uh, yeah. So we'll see. That how would it be goes. incredible. <laughs> so I just wanted to mention the BlackBerry Key Two simply because, well, you know, it's there. You know, I didn't talk about it in the in in the podcast before because of all my travel, uh, and because we kind of got on tangents in the topics a few times in the last uh, couple of weeks. But at the same time, this phone got released. You know, folks got hands on. I have a review unit, so stay tuned. Um, the next one I want to talk about a little bit is the Moto Z3 Play. Again, something that was announced. Uh, a little bit before I went to Computex or while I was at Computex in Taipei, Taiwan. Um, and this is a successor to, I think, my favorite of the Z-series Moto phones, which is the, the cheaper one, right? The Play. Mm -hmm. um, so just to give you some background, when the Z1 Play came out, and it was, to me, the better phone for a number of reasons. Um, it was cheaper. It had still had the great same quality design, build quality as the more expensive Zs. Um, it performed really well. It had incredible battery life, one of the best at the time. Had a headphone jack, which the bigger ones were lacking. And of course, you could still do all the Moto Mod stuff. So, you know, while the Z and Z Force original were kind of like launched first and really stole the show because the Z was so thin and the mods and all that, I think the Z Play was really the star of the show. And so last year when they did the Z2 line, the Z2 Play actually came out first. And honestly, it took everything we loved about the Z1 in many ways and made it better. It did lose a little bit on battery life because it was a little thinner and the battery was a little smaller, but the processor was upgraded and it was better performance. So it actually balanced itself out more or less and it still had the headphone jack and the camera was better. And so I love the Z2 Play last year. And so this year, we don't know what the Z3 is going to look like. Um, the Z3 non-play, but the right. Z3 play seems to be, again, an upgrade of the Z2 play. And it adds, of course, an 1899 display on the front. So that means the fingerprint is now, uh, sensor is now relocated to the side of the phone, has a dual camera system in the back, which the Z2 Force had last year, and it has a headphone, it has lost the headphone jack. So to me, it's already sounding a little frumpy because losing the headphone jack on the play version is a little weird to me. Yeah, uh, kind of a step I understand, backwards. you know, the Z3 Force or Z3 or whatever it's going to be called, the big flagship. Last year, they only did the Force, not the regular one. Um, I expect that to have no headphone jack and to push the envelope. Uh, but I think the Z3 Play, that's one of the things that made it so awesome was that it was still, you know, a, an upper mid-ranger. And the pricing on the Z3 Play, you know, it's expensive. At that price, why wouldn't you buy one plus six? You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, I can't remember that, the price. A lot of people ask that question about that price point. Do you know what it is off the top of your head? Oh, the price for the Z3 Play or for the OnePlus? The Z3 Play. I know. I think it's almost as expensive as a OnePlus 6. I don't not. know. Off it. And so, you know, I'm going to quickly Google it. I, I think that's, that's, that's the problem. It's too expensive. 
uh, and and uh, for what it is, because you're not getting a Snapdragon 845 at that price. Uh, it's 499. No, that's okay. a Z2 Play. Never mind. Uh, let's see. Is, is it there pricing? Z3 Play 499. 499 so unlocked. Thirty dollars yeah. more buys you one plus six. Yeah, then that's that's a compelling argument. And I think, uh, well, here's the here's the thing about Motorola and man. <laughs> Motorola, I, I love the I, I love Moto's concept of of the modular phone, the Moto Mods, and we're gonna be, we're gonna be talking about Moto Mods. That's gonna be a large part of this conversation because of my concern. Uh, you know, Miriam and I discussed this a little bit off the air. Um, you know, and we we both had different concerns about the uh, the Z3 uh, the Z3 Play. Um, but you know, the the thing about the the thing about Motorola is if you're buying into Motorola, you're also buying into their ecosystem with the Moto Mods. So, you know, you, you ask the question for $30 more, why not get a OnePlus 6? Well, maybe you have a drawer filled with projectors and battery packs and speakers that won't work with a OnePlus 6. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's very possible. And, you know, this is the third generation of the Moto Z uh, family and during the first generation of the the announcement of the first generation of the Moto Z family, Motorola said, "We're going to support this for three years." Here we are on year three, and it's, the question is, what does the future look like for Moto Mods? I don't know um, because I don't think Motorola has really said anything um, about. Well, that. they said, yeah, you, I think you nailed it. They said we'll support this for three years. So, is this the last year? That would seem to be the case. <laughs> I mean, that's the question I would ask if I bought one of these. I mean, this for me, it's hard to judge because I like the idea of the mods. I think some of the mods are cool, but I don't see myself ever spending the money on a phone like that if I were to use my own money to buy these. Right. As a reviewer, they're interesting. I like the idea, but... And I could recommend the Z2 and Z1 Play based on the fact that they were well-rounded for their money, but the landscape is shifting, you know? You yeah. can buy a lot of phone for that right now. And yes, you have to forego the Moto Mods, but, you know, is that a big sacrifice? Who care, Who do you really care? Unless, as you said, you have a drawer full of mods right now? like Unless you have the drawer full of mods. And actually, the funny thing is, is that Motorola is finally doing with the Z3 Play what it should have been doing from the Z with the Z1 Play is that it's actually bundling a Moto Mod with the phone. You know, it's, right. it's bundling in the Moto Mod battery pack. Now, if you wanted to lock people into your ecosystem, you do this back in 2000. What year is it now? 2016. So that <laughs> so that, you know, when 2017 rolls around and you've got this battery mod, oh, I should probably get a phone that supports this. Then you've got locked people into your, into your ecosystem. Now it seems like you're trying to empty the warehouse um, so that you can move something else in. Um, or at least that's just the impression that I get because I've been paying attention for the last three years. Yeah, I mean, the big other thing with the Z series is the last year's Z2 Force I thought was a very disappointing flagship. It did not you know, hit the mark and compete favorably with the other uh, 835-based flagships. Um, and, you know, the dual camera wasn't very good, honestly. It just didn't right. have the quality you'd expect from a dual camera system in a flagship. And so I'm wondering, like, is the Z3 Force, sorry, no, not Z3 Force, the Z3 Play uh, going to uh, have a camera that, that performs well enough 
uh, because it's nice to add a dual camera to a to a phone, but honestly, I'd rather have a single camera that's well sorted than a dual camera that's not. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, uh, cough, cough, razor, cough, cough, essential, cough, cough, Moto Z2 Force, cough, cough, you pixel. Know? Oh, oh, you're talking about dual camera. Sorry. <laughs> no, I said I'd rather have a single camera that performs well than yeah. a dual camera that performs poorly, and. You know, the, 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 the three worst offenders last year was the Razer, the Essential, and the Z2 right. Force. Of course, the Pixel has a single camera, and it and is great. performs like a champ. So, uh, the Pixel 2, at least, um, and 2XL. So, I think, you know, uh, that's that's why I'm like, I'm kind of weary of the Z3 play, because no headphone jack's a big thing, and that price point, I think it should have it. And also, it's too expensive for what the specs are, and the dual camera better be half decent. And based on my experience so far with Moto, the dual cameras haven't been that great. The G6, Moto G6 I recently reviewed, which is our segue for the next topic, um, it has dual camera, and it's kind of meh. And the X4 last year had dual camera, and it was kind of meh. And, uh, you know, they haven't, went terrible. Am I, but, am I crazy? But haven't Motorola cameras always been a little bit meh? I mean, like all the way back to the Moto X. Absolutely. They've always been a little underwhelming, but not terrible. You know what I'm saying? Like they've, right. some of them have hit the mark. Like in my opinion, for example, the, the Z2 Force last year was okay. Sorry, Z2 Play, not Force, because the Force is the one I thought wasn't that good. Honestly, I felt that the Z2 Play single camera system was better than the Z2 Force dual camera play system. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, so two steps uh, forward, It's kind of interesting. And, and then, um, you know, uh, last year's G5, I thought was okay for the price point. Oh, yeah. I uh, had FO 1.7, 12 megapixel, large, uh, large, uh, large pixels, 1.4, 1.55 micron. And, you know, the software wasn't quite up to par to what you'd expect, uh, but... The hardware certainly helped the phone along in terms of um, imaging performance. You could tell that with better software, it could be pretty damn competitive for its price point on the G5 last year, the Moto G5. Right. So, the, you know, yeah, so we'll see how that Z3 play, pardon the pun, plays out. <laughs> right. Mwah, mwah, mwah. That's okay. Um, we'll forgive you. It's your show. But yeah, thank you. But I, I think that uh, the, Mojo, the Moto G6 is what I want to segue to because the Moto G6. Um, I reviewed for uh, Geekspin, which is a new site uh, recently launched by Elena Stone, who used to be the editor-in-chief right. of Chip Chick. Elena is awesome, and she said, hey, Miriam, you want to review phones for me? I was like, sure, anytime. I really enjoyed reviewing phones for Elena at Chip Chick. So I said, "What? what you, uh, here's the, here are the phones that are on my table right now. They're just fresh, freshly minted. Um, she's like, oh, G6, I think, is uh, would be what I want. So I wrote this review. You can check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and my takeaway is industrial design, build quality materials. This thing is so premium for $250. Nothing can touch it. Nothing. It's as premium as a OnePlus 6 at $530. It's as premium as an iPhone 10 or gel, you know, LG G7 or a, a Samsung Galaxy S9. It's, it's insane for the money. And it's not plastic. It's it's not fake. Everything is top-notch quality. It's basically like the Moto X4 last year that a lot of us praise for its build quality at its price point. Now, they've brought that down to an even more affordable $250. Uh, and you know it's going to sell for $200 anytime soon now. Uh, as right. you know, prices, these kind of phones go down price pretty rapidly. And and overall, it's just the same story as a G Moto G has always been. It's a well-rounded, all-round, decent phone in every way that you know punches way above its weight, in my opinion. 
Um, the only thing that, and now it has USB Type-C for the first time in the G series. Uh, the only thing that I still do not understand, I cannot wrap my head around that Moto's been doing <laughs> forever on the G series. And I could understand it four years ago, three years ago, even two years ago. But last year with the G5 and this year with the G6 is no NFC, which means no Google Pay, uh. no online payment. What were they thinking, Adam? I'm getting angry. The more you oh, talk about this, oh, please give us a rant. <laughs> so, so, okay. So I'm like, I'm a mobile payment guy. I'm, Me too. I'm a mobile payment geek. I mean, I've written entire editorials about mobile payments and using mobile payments. And, you know, I've gone days at a time without ever touching a credit card or a wallet. I'm um, the same just way. I love it. It's annoying, right? When you have to pull out your wallet. Right. And First everybody has mobile payments now. Now, the I don't know if you want to call this a good thing or a bad thing, but like big big stores like Target and Walmart, they're actually developing their own mobile payment system, which doesn't require NFC, which is kind of a good thing. But at the same time, you know, you just go to the terminal, you whip out your phone, bam, you're done, you're walking away. And especially with these days with the proliferation of chip readers, and those things are so freaking slow. Um, you know, you could just tap tap your phone on the card reader and you're done. Um, just not having NFC is is it's practically unforgivable and 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 i just i can't wrap my head around even why look you, you want to sell a phone for 100 bucks 150 bucks fine. fine but you know 250 dollars you're starting to you're starting to get into some expectations and and not having an not having nfc which is probably not a big deal for most of the people but for the people listening to this podcast damn it give us our give us our nfc we want we want to pay with google pay um so but yeah so not having that is it's 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 a it's a total deal breaker for me uh i would never be able to use that phone just because of that but I guess if there's a corner to cut, it's probably better than GPS or something. I don't think it's acceptable. It's 20 cents corner to cut. Uh, fair. I mean, I'm not arguing with so you. So <laughs> I, I think I can't, I dock them on that. And I hope next year's is resolved. I think they got to stop thinking that way. I right. honestly think this is a Lenovo move, not a Moto move. Because the parent company is a Chinese-based company, as you know. And right. they do not value NFC. Like well, a lot of flagships in China don't even have it. That's fair. So, that is fair. So, um, I mean, you know, you kind of have to go to a much higher tier to get NFC in, in Asia. Whereas, uh, unless you're in Japan, where it's pretty much par for the course because they do, uh, they do uh, train, uh, you know, they, they can, you can go through the subway with, with, uh, and with buy NFC. stuff at, at like vending machines and stuff with NFC. But in, in China, primarily it's, you know, it's we, it's we chat pay. We chat pay is barcode based, um, so mm, QR okay. code. So they yeah. don't really care about NFC. And so they tend to only put it on the higher end phones just basically as a way to, you know, tap two phones to transfer a photo or pair a Bluetooth device or whatever. They don't even think of mobile payment. And I think that translates into Lenovo's roadmap in some kind of weird product way where they're like the, you know, the, the people in charge of the U.S. product are like, no, 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 we need it. And then the people in charge of the, you know, in China of the manufacturing are like, no, we'll, we'll save a buck. Right. And, and you right. know, they always, they, they don't really listen to their, uh, the American folks very much because they're a Chinese company and that's kind of how they do things. And, and, you know, I don't want you guys to think that I'm, I'm, I'm making general blanket statements. This is just an observation from years and years of consulting with clients in China. They tend to have, you know, they take to take the advice of Westerners and then throw it right out the window, <laughs> which is <laughs> okay. really well, weird. Like, tell us how you, you really you feel. Know, a prime <laughs> example of that is what happened to Le, Le Eco, right? It was like, 
we're going to launch in the US, you know, we're going to do a big stink and it's going to be a big deal. And I mean, Loico has all kinds of other issues because, you know, there's a lot of shady dealings with the financing of the company and whatever. But yeah, in, in, in its essence, they hired and made a big team in, happen in, in, uh, in Silicon Valley here. We're all ready to, to do things. And then they completely botched it because they just didn't listen to the people they hired. They, they were experts the in their market. Yeah. And they threw it all out, you know, and that's tends to be a thing they do. And I'm worried that this is what we're seeing with since the Lenovo acquisition of Moto with Moto phones in the mid range, not having NFC is a direct result of that mentality. Yeah. That being said, though, I mean, the, the Moto, the Moto G6 is a wonderful return of, of Motorola back to prominence in the mid range space. Well, so, they I think they've always been prominent in the mid range space. Honestly, if you ask me for a mid range phone, the $200 mark in the last few years, I'd always say Moto G first. Yeah, but Honor would be really close in the conversation. Yeah, but Honor is only this year. Prior to that, they, they didn't have anything. The Honor 7X is the first phone from Honor in that price point that really blows everything away. Right, and that's my point is, you know, Honor was really making a play for that particular for that title of being the king of the mid-range space, and I think the Moto G6 pulls that back and says, not so fast there, buddy. Exactly, um, but that's because they've always been the leader themselves. So right. it's really like they're reclaiming their proper seat and line, in my opinion. I Absolutely. mean, don't get me wrong. I think the 7X is a great phone, and I would really have to think hard. If I had to only $200, $250 to spend and had to buy a phone today... Um, to choose between the Moto uh, G6 and the Honor 7X. The Honor 7X is going to give you worse software, uh, more annoying software. <laughs> and there are some things about it that are worse. Like it doesn't have uh, USB Type-C, it's it's micro USB. And, and yep. it doesn't have NFC either. So It does not. Uh, so, so, but it's, uh, you know, and it's also metal build, not a glass build. For some people, that's good. For some people, that's bad. I think that the future, you know, the, the current zeitgeist of phones is glass sandwich and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's where you want to be if you want something premium. Certainly. You can get something that looks super premium with the Moto G6 and not so premium with the 7X. It's very boring looking, even though it's not an offensive design in any way. So, you know, both of them have displays that are okay, but not great. Cameras that are okay but not great again the g series has always been okay but not great but better than average for the price and yeah. you never left anything on the table except for nfc uh with the g series and i think this continues g6 i really enjoyed that phone um the headphone jack's nice of course this has one and uh you know the the cameras are okay i think the 7x has the edge on the imaging uh, a lot of the you can tell a lot of the ai from um, you know, the P20, uh, sorry, P10 from last year and from mm -hmm. the Honor, not Honor, from the uh, Huawei Mate 10 Pro from this past winter have kind of seeped into the, the mid-range at Huawei uh, and Honor with the 7X and the, the, uh, the actually the, the Huawei 9, the, sorry, Honor 9 Lite is the one to get at that price point. It's not sold in the US, but if right. you're in Europe or Asia, the Honor 9 Lite Adds NFC, is a glass sandwich, is slightly smaller in size, uh, also has an 18.9 display, and is, in my opinion, better than the 7X, and it's the same price. So that's the one to go for if you're going to buy a $200 phone abroad. Uh, if I had to pick between the Honor 9 Lite and the Moto G6, it'd be a much harder choice, to be honest with you. Definitely. 100% agree. So the G6, check out my review. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the HTC U12 Plus because last time I talked about it on the podcast, which I think is two, two or three episodes ago, 
uh, I had not received a review unit yet. So I was based, you know, it was based purely on my, my time reading other people's stories. And since then, I've had being able to use it pretty much every day. I've had it, I, I made it my primary phone with a Taiwanese SIM card in Taipei when I was at Computex. Mm -hmm. two weeks ago and uh, so I, I took all my photos pretty much for Computex if you saw my tweets they were all taken with U12 plus the camera is really impressive uh, just as good as would you'd expect from like you know this the current state of the art like I'd say it's up there with the OnePlus 6 which as, as we know this year really has done a great job in imaging uh, it's up there uh, maybe a little below the Galaxy S9 and LG G7 um, you know it's definitely not Pixel 2 material or P20 Pro, but that's that's a tough one to ask. Yeah, uh, that's uh, a but, but it's it's very competitive camera-wise. The only thing that is a total disappointment for me in the camera space is the front camera is really not that great. Even though it's a dual front camera, I really don't feel that that like it's not really nothing to write home about. It's it's it, and of course, yeah, I can do bokeh because got do camera big deal, right? It's, it's right. not that great. Um, but the rear camera has an, one issue, and that's the telelens doesn't have OIS. And if you know anything about that, if you have an iPhone 8 Plus, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, you know, the 8 Plus does not have OIS on the telelens, whereas the iPhone 10 has OIS on the telelens. And, you know, the new Samsung phones that have dual camera have OIS on the telelens, like the Note 8 and Galaxy S9 Plus. And it makes all the difference because the telelens is the one you, you need motion compensation for the most. It's a zoom, right? right? You're, right. you're likely to shake a lot more and it gets amplified. And honestly, here's what my takeaway was of using U, the U12 Plus. I was better off using the main camera set to 1x in the viewfinder and cropping it I'm after cropping. the fact to two to two times crop like to zoom time two times than to use the telelens in low light okay that's, yeah that sounds that's fair. my experience because without ois in low light it would just fall apart and also the f-stop is not that good for the telelens as usual right so um that's kind of where it falls apart i think um the other thing uh lack of headphone jack is still a real bummer especially on htc phone considering how good the headphone jacks and headphone uh, amps and DACs used to be um i just feel that they i was hoping that maybe they'd revert on that just because they, all the negative feedback they got for dropping the headphone jack last year as a small company you know mm -hmm. um they, they would smarten up about it like i don't see google or apple reverting but i could see them do it um, and then uh, the biggest vex, the two biggest vexing things that I think a lot of reviewers agree with is the battery life is not as good as it could be, uh, probably because it has to drive this gigantic Quad HD 189 IPS panel. Um, it's a beautiful screen, though, to be honest. Not as yeah. good as the LG G7 IPS. That thing is just the best IPS panel I've ever seen. Well, maybe not. Well, close, because I think the iPhone 8 has one of the best LCDs, IPSs out there. Uh, and then the, uh, the, 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 those touch, those, those pressure-sensitive power lock key and volume rocker buttons yeah, those that buttons. are not physical buttons. I mean, what's your take on that? You've read about it. Have you tried it? I haven't tried it myself. Um, I like the idea of it, um, you know, uh, and and I think the engineering part of you should probably appreciate, you know, the oh, fewer, yeah. no, the I think fewer cool. moving parts you can have, the better. Um, but I, I like the idea of them, you know, having just, you know, an area that you can touch in order to, you know, uh, turn the phone on or off or adjust the volume. It's, it's an interesting concept, but um, HTC seems to have gone about it 
in a bad way, or at least initially, there's talk that there might be a software update coming that can fix it. Um, but at the same time, get the software update before you put it in reviewers' hands. Um, yeah. You know, that's it's, it's the question, you know, the question and I think a lot of companies face this is, you know, when are we ready to go? And um, again, you know, you and I were talking off the air, you know, there's a lot that goes into, you know, from a company standpoint, you know, there's probably a lot of uh, moving parts that maybe didn't line up quite right to get those buttons exactly right before they shipped. Um, so, you know, it sucks. But at the same time, um you know, that's that's one of those things where it kind of has to work. You know, it, it can't not work. If you want if you want to have a phone, you need to be able to turn the volume up and you need to be able to turn the volume down and uh, you need to be able to turn it on and off. And if that doesn't work, then you kind of have a broken phone. Yeah. I mean, look, the reality is, is it works. It's just that there's sometimes a delay between you pushing and getting the haptic feedback. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. That's the disconnect. And then um, also the pressure, the variation in pressure, like it's not consistent pressure wise. So like sometimes you press it, barely you touch it, you pick up the phone and bang, you you put yourself in do not disturb mode. Right. And you're like, yeah. oh, you know how frustrating that is? Every other time you pick up the phone, you're in do not disturb mode. Right. Like that's it, been my experience because you, you touch the volume down rocker, you don't realize it. The haptic feedback happens a little later than you expect. So you don't know it happened. You think you maybe got a notification or something and you're done. Yeah. And now you look at your phone two hours later, you have all these notifications. You had no idea what happened. Right. And, every, and everyone's like, why aren't you calling me back? Why don't you, right. and why so, don't you love um, me anymore? So look, the haptic engine on the, on the U12 Plus, I think, is really high quality. It feels a lot like the one on the G7, LG G7, and uh, LG V30, V35, which I don't know if you know, but they're used, they both use linear motors. Also, very similar to what we have on the Pixel 2 XL. Again, all these phones are made by, were made by LG, other than, of course, the HTC U12 Plus. So, right. LG clearly has a very high quality linear motor for vibration, which is all very close to uh, the haptic uh, engine on the iPhones, which, as we know, are all the best. That and the MacBook clicky thing on the Mac books which is also uncannily good so we know it can be done right apple has done it right lg's done a pretty good job with it so um they have this uh, i can tell they have a good quality piece of hardware in there for vibration for haptic feedback on the u12 plus but i think it's a kind of delay and pressure sensitivity that needs to be tweaked in software until they get it right so that it feels like a real button and it doesn't right right now it just feels like you're kind of and, mushing on something and then something, something happens afterwards. And the good news is, is that this is a software issue, so it can be fixed and it will be fixed almost certainly. Oh, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's not like this is, you know, shipped out with a defective component and now you're kind of screwed. So, yeah. I mean, the, 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 let's take the silver lining here is that, you know, this can be fixed. And so it won't be a problem for forever. Um, but it is kind of a problem now. And now is when people are talking about it. So, um, there's uh you know there's definitely a disconnect there and so that but i don't know <laughs> at the same I mean, time at the same time it is htc so i mean it's not like they were really going to be competing with the galaxies of the world anyway so maybe I they mean, can afford to me, a little you buy delay. this phone because you're a fan and you want a flagship it's a good flagship folks it's a good it's good okay it's not going it's fast it's it's solid and it's, it looks beautiful it's well designed it's a little boring maybe except for that trans pseudo transparent back i have the blue one which is pseudo transparent i mean the industrial design is a little it looks a little dated because it doesn't have a notch and stuff it's kind of weird to say that today right but <laughs> it's true and it's only an 89 display, so it does have that top and bottom bezel. Uh, 
but honestly, it's beautifully made. It's 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 a totally respectable flagship. The only things that can be fixed in hardware are the OIS, lack of OIS on the telelens and the headphone jack. But if you can live without that, you know, I think things like even battery life are going to get improved because it's just a matter of fine tuning the software some a little further. We're we're not talking about disaster battery life here. I'm just saying that generally speaking, for the specs, based on my experience with similar devices. Uh, based on the battery size of that is that is in the U12 Plus, which I think is 3,500 milliamp hour, I was expecting more in terms of durability of the battery pack. Sure. Uh, in terms of you know delivering power for a longer time, so it's not like you know a deal breaker. It's just an observation. Um, it can be tuned. It can be fixed. So. Overall, kudos to HTC, you know, for A, still existing on making phones despite having sold half of their engineering team to Google and uh, making phones that are actually pretty compelling. And if you're, again, if you're an HTC fan, this is definitely the phone to get right now. I mean, yeah, and and there's a lot of HTC fans. So HTC has a lot of great ideas. Um, And so it's, it's hard to not be. Um, it's hard to not love HTC as a company because they have really great ideas. You know, the ultra pixel, um, and, yeah. uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, just the, um, uh, this is another example of that, that type of, uh, that type of innovation and just HTC and, you know, they, they focused, uh, HTC focused on sound for, uh, several generations of phones as well, you know, for the audio files. So it's just HTC has really great ideas, the execution and, and certainly the marketing definitely could uh, could use a little bit of an upgrade. On the plus side, they have Jeff Gordon as their PR person, not to be confused with Jeff Gordon, the race car driver. But Jeff is awesome. And uh, he, I think, is single handedly responsible for a lot of the love we have for HTC. Um, I'm glad you said that because I actually was confusing him for the race car driver. Yeah, don't. No, no, it's, it's very easy to confuse him. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so that's kind of like the lowdown on the phone situation in the last uh, two, three weeks. Things yeah, we, that I, we I didn't talk about. The, yeah, things I didn't talk about on the podcast that I missed that I'm, you might have wondered why hasn't Miriam talked about the Key Two or the Z3 Play or the Moto G6 or the U11 or sorry U12 Plus. I. I I have talked about the U12 Plus. I haven't briefly mentioned the G6, but I definitely have not mentioned anything about the Key 2 or the Z3 Play. So there you've got it. You've got my take initially, at least on some of these things. Uh, you remember on the Key 2, check out my unboxing video. It'll be linked to the in the show notes below. And, uh, you know, any I'll, I'll, I always have links in the show notes for everything, but check out my Moto G6 review in particular on Geekspin. Um, so uh, there's a few news items I want to talk about really quickly, Adam. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to work at Pebble in the early days when Pebble was on top of the world. Uh, I kind of feel it's partially responsible. I'm, you know, you know, don't want to be humble bragging here, but I, I do feel that a bigger part of it was my job as their head of communications, oh, uh, yeah. keeping them relevant and and uh, uh, you know uh, keeping the media connected to the Pebble brand with. Uh, review units and all that good stuff um and you know i worked there i I, i'm a big fan of smartwatches uh i was lucky able to get into that company in the early days that's how i ended up leaving in gadget because you don't say no to an opportunity like this sure uh and i learned a lot and um you know i left before things got really ugly over there (laughs) uh it's kind of a sad story did they (laughs) <laughs> yes, it's a sad story. But here's the reality. Pebble mm-hmm. users love their Pebbles for a number of reasons, right? Primarily, they're really small and they have really great battery life. Um, right. They certainly don't love them for the display because the display is always kind of sucked, in my opinion. 
But because of that, there's an entire universe of folks out there still using their Pebbles. I personally uh, use Android Wear mostly right now. I've got a Huawei Watch 2. Uh, not my favorite, but it does the job. Um, it has great battery life, which is really important to me. And it has an FC for payment. That's all that matters. Hmm. Uh, but going back to Pebble, um, I use a Pebble when I'm at Burning Man in the summer. Uh, as you know, I, I work there. So I'm there for two, three weeks at a time in the desert. And I need, you know, yeah. I work. So I need to know what time it is. And I don't need my notifications per se. Uh, but it's nice when I'm uh, in range of signal to actually get a few of them pop up. So I use I use my Pebble because it has a one week battery life, basically. Yeah. So I have to charge it maybe two or three times while I'm there for the whole event, uh, for the whole three weeks uh, with setup and, and teardown and all that. And and it's really nice. It's also really bulletproof. Like it's dust and water resistant. And it's, you know, uh, there's a lot really, to love. It's really good. The display is really good in daylight. And I spend a lot of time outside when I'm there because I, you know, uh, it's it's in the bright sunlight all the time. So all the pebble really lives up to its um, to its, uh, you know, uh, goodness when when I use it there. So I still use it somewhat. And of course, we all know Fitbit acquired pebble. Uh, and what was left of Pebble, I should say. And uh, uh, they decided to kind of, uh, gr you know, uh, uh, Go a different direction. Yeah, well, exactly. And they decided to sunset the Pebble software stuff, like all the cloud-based uh, stuff, like things like App Store and firmware distribution, all that. It's no, no longer going to work very soon. Right. So there's this group called Rebel, <laughs> which is kind of funny, right? Rebels, Pebble, Love Rebel. It. Uh -huh. Love it. Uh, it's spelled like Pebble with an R, Rebel. And this group is going to be uh, taking over basically the App Store slash firmware support and such cloud backend for Pebble for future, uh, you know, for, for, for the future. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's community driven. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you, if you can donate a bit of your time and, and or money to keep that effort going uh, as a community effort, uh, you know, it'll benefit you if you're a Pebble user, at least for a few years. Sure. I can see this, you know, turning into a thing like Linux or, or like, you know, as you saw, as you said yourself, and, you know, when we were talking before the podcast started, a WebOS community maintain, keeping OS going for years on devices that were no longer supported. Yep. I think this is good. It is good for Pebble users. And so if you're a Pebble user and you're listening and you weren't aware of this, uh, go check out uh, Rebel, type Rebel with Pebble with an R, basically, and Google that. I'll have something in the show notes as well. Uh, you know, sign up to their system so that you can trans, you know, you can kind of like jump. You have in. to link your account for Pebble over to their, to their account over there so that you can still get like app updates and things like Correct. that. So, so you do that now. And then I think it's going live on July 1st. So, um, this to me was significant enough to, you know, kind of discuss because I, I feel yeah. that, you know, I have a bit of a fun spot myself. And I think, uh, there are a lot of people out there who are jonesing on, Ah, damn Pebble, I wish, you know, or they might have moved on already, but they might have a Pebble in a drawer somewhere that still works. So there you go. Right. Yeah. My old, my old podcast partner, Ryan, um, he is, uh, he's a Pebble fanatic and I think he would be very happy to hear about this. So I'll definitely uh, pass that along to him when I get a chance. Um, but yeah, it's a, it, it's really great when a community can get together and, 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 you know, prevent the demise of an otherwise beloved operating. You don't see that all the time. You know, you don't see a lot of, uh, um, you don't see a lot of, I don't know, Debian <laughs> groups that are, you know, keeping uh, keeping their phones alive. Uh, so it just, you know, shout out to the WebOS folks that are out there that I actually just met up with them a, a few weeks ago. Um, oh, cool. 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, duct tape and and bailing wire, and they are keeping this stuff together. There's actually a, a I, I hate to digress a little bit, but the, there's actually an app that you can download for WebOS devices that's called the WebOS Museum, which is basically copies of every app that used to be in the in the Palm App Store, and you can you can still install apps from you know this WebOS Museum um app which i, th- I just say it's pretty cool you know and that i think really cool and you i can see I something a... similar happening for pebble here absolutely you know i have a palm pre 3 do you yeah i have one of the few i have uh, one of each it, it's an <laughs> at&t locked one sadly but i have it it's in mint condition and uh maybe i'll uh, you know charge it up and um and download some of those apps and get it back to life because i've i loved web os and you have to work quite a bit, a bit to do mad. it though just fair warning um, what's it's, that it's not it's not a straightforward procedure you need to do a lot of side loading to get that to yeah work. that's 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 what the fun is right that's right um i mean i i, th- I never thought their hardware was the best but the pre-3 certainly was the best they ever did and um and i thought the os was phenomenal and i was a big fan of the pre back in the day you know i still have a a pre uh, wireless charger sitting somewhere in my room <sighs> just i never put it away it's just sitting there doing nothing i have one but, stuck to uh, my refrigerator <laughs> yeah it's kind of cool um because they were the first to do wireless charging of course not compatible with anything we use today but uh um, right yeah so uh switching gears uh i'm kind of excited about this one uh maybe you can explain this to the to the listeners uh google messages for the web yeah yeah this is actually a, a pretty cool thing um you know one of the biggest uh one of the biggest hang-ups that google messages and just texting on android has always had is the fact that it always had to be on a device um you know there was uh, uh but now um android is working on bringing its messaging platform to a browser you uh uh there's a uh, it's not available for everybody they're starting to roll it out i believe this week and so um but what what you're going to do is you're going to download this android messages app which is the default texting app for a lot of different phones um but if it's not on yours like i'm using a galaxy s9 now so i had to download the messages app and fun fact it actually transferred all my messages from samsung message over into android messages well it actually doesn't transfer anything adam the 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 messaging database is the what that app um uh, accesses and also the Facebook Messenger app if you let it use your text messaging. Gotcha. So gotcha. the way it is is there's a database in Android for text messaging and MMSs, and that and database any that. app that you give permission to can access that database. So you know, of course, each uh, most of the phone manufacturers have their own messaging app or text messaging app which accesses that database, which is the Galaxy S9 one you've been using, and then Messages is Google's in-house own basically skin interface on top of that database never Um, mind the man behind the curtain miriam no it's okay i'm just (laughs) letting you know because a lot of people don't understand that there's actually no transfer going on here this is actually just the same apps it's just basically a skin on top of the database that's sitting in the background right well that that i did not know that so that's awesome yeah um anyway so um I kind of lost my train of thought. You install, okay. mess- so, you install so the you messages. So you install Android messages, and then there will be an option within the settings, which I currently don't have. I actually just checked um, as we were as we were talking about this. But there will be an option to link to a browser, and then um, on your browser, you go to messages.android.com. They show you a, uh, a QR code. You scan the QR code, and blammo there's your messages in theory i we it's neither it's working for neither um miriam nor myself um but in theory you should see your messages all in the uh in the web browser so that you can 
you know, if you get a message from your wife. from your computer and yeah. send texts and receive texts. And it's still, there's still text. This is not like iMessages. This, there's still text messages. You know, it still interfaces with your phone uh, over the cloud, basically. And a lot of people are a little butthurt right now because it's using... Um, it's not using their Google login for this. It's actually uh, using this barcode pairing. And the reason yeah. for that is because unlike other things in Google's universe, you do not need a login to use the Messages app. So there's no guarantee that the people using the Messages app on their phone have a Google account to start with. So the reason it's linked via barcode is because that way it's you don't even need a Google account. It's done completely, you know, it creates basically a... a temporary account and in fact after two or three weeks if you don't use that web session uh it, it, it deletes all of the history from that web session so you never leave any traces of your text messaging uh, on the web it's basically all stored on your phone and you're remoting to your phone uh via uh the web uh yeah. over the internet which is cool because you don't have to necessarily be connected on the same network for it to work and that's my understanding yeah, and it, it's really cool because, you know, you know, you're sitting at your computer and you get a text message and you're like trying to go back and forth and you're just like, I, I want to stop picking up my phone. You know, now you can just switch over to a new browser tab and blammo fire off a quick message and uh, it's going to be it's going to be pretty great. I'm looking I'm very much looking forward to getting this working. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing to me about it is unlike iMessage, it is not relying on some kind of weird you know, substituting data communication for text messaging this is a uh, taking advantage of some of the new uh, technologies that are being developed for text messaging that make it more universal and make it data driven instead of you know uh, traditionally text messaging is part of the gsm standard mm -hmm. uh, using some status data that is included in the standard communication protocol it's not actually using the data as as in the internet data uh, part that's why text messaging is always a separate plan usually um, mostly it's thrown in for free these days but you have to right. understand how text messaging works and iMessages of course you know does all kinds of trickery at the server level to basically have uh, it work as an internet protocol instead of uh, text message so this is a little different uh, it's also using the new protocol f uh, that has been developed for text messaging what's it called again Adam you remember RCS no I was afraid you were going to ask me that <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, it's like, it. a, it's like a, a, a RCS. It's like a uh, man, uh, RCS, a rich communication services. Correct. It's That's saying. it's yeah. using RCS. So I was right. I've got the right acronym. So RCS is, you know, the, diff the, the one thing where iMessage still wins, in my opinion, is that it's encrypted end to end and it's only basically living in Apple's universe uh, when you're using it. Um, but the problem with that, of course, is that it's really incompatible with text messaging. And if you if it breaks down, if you know that that if you take your SIM card out of an iPhone and you don't turn off iMessages before you do, and you put an Android phone, you won't be getting text messages on Android. It breaks down. It's very, very like the way Apple implemented very iMessage. Finicky. I think is really bad, and and it breaks a lot of standards. And yes. In the end, it does what it's supposed to do, which is lets you use your iPad and your Mac to 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 send and receive text messages. But also, it you know is very finicky, and it, the all the advantages is fully encrypted, of course. So RCS isn't fully encrypted. This thing with um, uh, the messages app, I don't know if it's fully encrypted. It um, is not, I believe. But at the same time, it's <clears throat> using a standard, a protocol. And once Apple adopts RCS as a protocol, and they're going to have to because in some 
places it's going to be necessary when you want to talk to an Android user that has an RCS-based text messaging system from an iPhone, you're going to need that. Right. So at some point, they're going to support it too. And then, you know, uh, the whole world will be able to do basically iMessages, except that on Android phones, it won't be end-to-end encrypted. Um, so you lose some, but you gain some. In my opinion, it's a better implementation, even though security-wise, it's worse. So, you know, it's it's kind of hit and miss. Like, eh, uh, yeah, you can't win. It's, you can't win. It's also possible that there might be ad- ad- advancements in the future that allow that to be and then encrypted. So we'll see. We'll just have to I mean, look, see the reality how, is how this. I've always said to people, if you want encrypted, if you want to use, you know, messaging with your friends, don't use text messages or iMessages even. Use uh, 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 WhatsApp or use uh, Signal. Like uh, there are ways to get fully end-to-end encrypted messaging that are much, in my opinion, much more reliable and much better implemented. I think WhatsApp is one of the best implementation, in my opinion, for messaging. Uh, I I I do phone calls with my mom on WhatsApp all the time because it's over data. It's free. Um, She's in France. You know, she uses it on her phone. To her, it's just a phone call. In oh, the yeah. sense of like, you know, she has a data plan, so it comes in as data. It's it's like Skype calling, but it's it's awesome. And but it's much more uh bulletproof and 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 so you know there there are alternatives, but it's it's true and it's nice to have a single point of contact where you do all your messaging in one place, right? Yeah, that will be nice. And, if we can get rid of the blue bubbles and the green bubbles. And honestly, for me, that text messaging right now is the biggest problem is that yes, I use it. I use it a lot and especially when I talk to my my iPhone friends who and I don't have iMessage since I'm on Android. And so I can't do it from my laptop or from my desktop and this or from my Chromebook. This solves the problem, right? Right, so absolutely. I'm looking forward to them flipping the switch for this to work because right now all the play, all the pieces are in place, but they haven't flipped the switch on yet. So see what happens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. So the, the final thing on my notes here that I wanted to kind of talk about before we wrap things up is kind of cool. Uh, this These leaked photos appeared of a canceled prototype phone from Samsung called Project V, which was very much a folding phone like what we've seen with Zeti's Axon M. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was, you know, designed to be launched in 2016 by uh, by Samsung. And of course, they were smart and never launched it. Because <laughs> at the time, you remember, this is after the Note 7 Fire stuff. They really had to reconsolidate their business and focus on making top-notch phone and regaining the trust of people, getting distracted, as it were, with, uh, you know, uh, other things was not a good thing, right? Yeah, well, so, uh, and also so, because these leaked photos made it look like basically two Note 5s were super glued together. Oh, God, they were. It was really ugly, in my <laughs> opinion, actually. It, the design looks pretty bad. I mean, the Axon M is a bit clunky, but it, it has that kind of industrial mechanical, like, machine, you know, comp- like it's it's appealing to nerds kind of design whereas i think that that samsung project v was just ugly all around i think it was yeah it was it was uh it was kind of a problem looking for a or a solution looking for a problem i should say um and you know the axon m kind of is too i've actually i actually took the opportunity to pick up the axon m um while you were while you were talking just now and just to remind myself um, once again, locked to AT&T, so I can't use it anymore. Yeah, I've got one um, from AT&T as well. <laughs> but um, it's just, it's, I, I like the way that ZTE did it with the with the thinner screen on the one side. Um, you know, the implementation that Samsung seemed to be going for just looked like it was going to end up being a big, heavy brick of a phone that I'm just not sure ever, ever would have done well with any type of 
uh, yeah. consumer market. Yeah, I mean, this this looks pretty bad. When you see that they launched the Galaxy S6 around that same time, and you see how slick the mm -hmm. Galaxy S6 and S6 Edge are, you're like, oh, wow. Right. And I mean, <laughs> I'm it, so glad. It certainly was a prototype. I mean, you know, so it should be mentioned that it probably didn't incorporate the latest design language. Um, so, you know, any future iterations of that of that phone almost certainly would have incorporated the new design line. Cause I mean, there was a really big um, change from in Samsung design between the, uh, the galaxy S five and the galaxy S six. And this is right in that wheelhouse. Um, so it, you know, any, any type of product that would have moved forward from the prototyped uh, stage certainly would have picked up the, uh, the design language that Samsung adopted for the uh, galaxy S six going forward. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, interesting tidbit. I'll have a link in the show notes. You can have a look at it, um, and laugh and or cry depending <laughs> on what mood you're in that day. Remember, if you're crying, ice cream makes things better. Uh, it's always been my truth. philosophy. Yeah. Um, so, Hey, listen, Adam, thanks for being on. I, I want you to, uh, tell the world where they can find you, what you're working on these days. I know you're working on a new site. That's part of the Android authority umbrella yeah. and a new podcast. So please tell yeah. the world where they can find you, your Twitter handle, all that good stuff. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll start off. Um, I'm, I've, I've been with Android authority for, uh, coming up on a year now, actually. Um, I'm on Twitter. I can be found at dead technology, um, which is, uh, also a web OS, uh, throwback. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah. So recently I've been working, um, on podcast production with, uh, sound guys, which is a sister site for Android authority. Um, the sound guys have put together a really nice, a really great, um, a really great podcast, which uh, shows you the world of sound like you've never heard it. Um, so it's everything that has to do with sound. Um, we have our first three tracks that are out in the iTunes store now. Um, the first uh, episode talks about how MP uh, MP3s, uh, the development of the MP3 essentially turned not one, but two industries on their heads. Um, so you'll want to find out about that. The second um, episode talks about smart speakers like uh, your um, Amazon Echoes and your Google Homes and the legal in the legal implications of having those devices in your home. And uh, spoiler alert, they're not good. Um, and, uh, finally, um, the latest episode, um, which is out now is the, uh, state of smartphone audio in 2018. We take a look at where we are from a, um, audio, an audio streaming standpoint, basically the sound coming from your phone and how it is being interpreted by your headphones, whether it's coming through a headphone jack or whether it's coming through Bluetooth. So, um, it's a really, uh, it's a, it's a really, um, all-encompassing view of how smartphone audio is looking these days. And the best part about our podcast is every episode is 20 minutes or less. So it's not going to take up a lot of your time. Uh, we would love for you to check it out on iTunes or Google Play Music or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review and subscribe because this is there will be more to come. And there you go, folks. I uh, listen to it and I think it's great. It's a very kind of like NPR style, like radio shows. You have like, you know, sound effects and it feels like you're immersed in a story. Uh, it's not at all conversational like this podcast. So if you're looking for something more like uh, listening to an ebook, basically, that's kind of what this feels like to me a little bit more like a traditional NPR show. Highly recommended. You know that I'm a huge audio fan. Uh, sound Guys is a great site. Lots of resources and information on how to get a better audio experience with your 
modern device life. Yep. Uh, you guys know where to find me uh, on online. But before I tell you and remind you, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible.com. Audible is um, definitely the best, um, you know, ebook platform, uh, audiobook, I should say, platform on the market today and and uh, if you want to listen to books because you can't read them you want to be able to commute and drive your car while listening to your great uh reading or you want to be flying for a while and enjoy some listening while you're in a plane for several hours this is the platform to go to audible.com has a ton of choices and selection probably the best on the market today so check them out uh the uh link to uh i'll put it in the show notes it's uh, audibletrial.com slash mobile tech that's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech and as i said i'm tankerl uh tnkgrl on twitter that's uh tankerl the comic book character without the vowels uh same for my instagram at tnkgrl and uh you can also find me on youtube under youtube.com slash miriam joar that's my full name name spelt out miriam with a y uh these videos on my youtube are really just kind of a supplement to this podcast so you show you the devices i'm playing with and stuff so you have an idea what they look like and uh get some uh, you know get some of my thoughts and uh, kind of preliminary thoughts before i talk about things on a podcast uh, subscribe to the channel like the videos tell your friends about it but most importantly subscribe to the podcast mobiletechpodcast.com is url you'll find the rss feed there we're also on pocket casts on overcast and itunes on stitcher and very many many places where you can subscribe to the podcast if you can't find it by typing mobile tech podcast because those three words are used a lot type my my name my hand Tankerl, T-N-K-G-R-L, and you should be able to find it everywhere. Uh, so that's that's it. Um, thanks so much, Adam, for being on the show. Really appreciate you coming this time. I am honored that you had me. And uh, stay tuned for another show next week, everybody. Cheers. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.